want to invite you to grab your Bibles, maybe your iPad or your iPhone or your Android device. We're going to study God's Word for the next few minutes. I want to begin today by telling you a little story of something that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I had to go see a doctor, an orthopedic doctor, uh, having a little bit of stiffness in my neck. I needed to see about getting it fixed and um, came home from the doctor's appointment with the orthopedic person, the, the doctor at Emory, and my wife asked me a question. She said, well, what happened? I said, well, he told me I need to go see a physical therapist and this and this and that. And she said, well, did he give you any prescriptions? And I said, yeah, he gave me, gave me two things. And she said, well, did you go get them filled? And I said, no. And she said, why not? I said, I'm not going to be taking those medicines, you know. She said, wait a minute, you're telling me the doctor gave you something to take and you're not going to take it. And I said, no, it's not my plan. And she said, well, why don't you rethink that, you know. And have you ever been there before? My, my wife was basically trying to give me some common sense that I didn't, I, I guess what, what I, the deal was, I wanted to be my own authority, right? Doctor told me something, do something, and I didn't necessarily agree with the doctor or they, some, on that. And I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Today as we study, I want you to think about how we are oftentimes like that. And there's something that God has for us, and many times we're saying, well, what, what about what I want to do? What about me? What about my vote in this whole thing? And sometimes we want to be our own authority. Uh, if you have that message outline, notice real quickly what we're doing together. We're on the third week of a series, and the series is entitled, God, Who Do You Think You Are? And we've been studying some names of God because in the Bible, God reveals himself to us by giving himself different names, more than a hundred of them, because God is so big. One name will not do God justice. And so every time we study one of the names of God, I kind of like to think of it this way. We're taking the diamond and we're turning it just a little bit and another prism of light shines through. It's different than the one before and it's giving us a new understanding of who God is. And here's the deal. Remember I, I told you before that every one of these names of God that we study every week will always be given in a certain situation. The people of God or a, or, or a follower of God is going through a situation in life, all right? Remember that German word I, spoke, I told you about that I learned in theology school, Sitzenleben? It's a, it's a word that means situation in life. You know, in, that, in a situation in life, God gives his name. And in, in that situation, going on in that situation, he gives his name. And, and when he does that, he reveals more of himself and his character. And remember, I've told you that the names of God are really gateways, right? Names are gateways. If I know your name, we can have a friendship together. As soon as we know it, all of a sudden when we know each other's names, now it's a gateway for relationship. Today we're going to be studying a situation in life that the people of God got into, and really God had a prescription for them. But they didn't want to take the prescription. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted to, have, they wanted to be their own authority and not let God be their doctor, their healing one, their, their, the one who was going to lead them towards life. So we're going to be studying in Jeremiah 23. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open up to Jeremiah 23, or look that up on your iPhone, Jeremiah 23, and we'll have some scriptures come up on the screen as well. Now, real quickly, Jeremiah, uh, that's an Old Testament book, it's an Old Testament prophet, and if you really need some strong encouragement and to feel good about life, you probably don't want to go read Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And the reason is because Jeremiah, when, every time he was given a word to speak by God, it was not an easy word, okay? I mean, it was a tough, tough word. He didn't even want to say it, 
but God had put, in his, put his word in Jeremiah, and as a prophet that he'd been called to be, he would have to speak these very bold, sometimes very flagrant, um, it, it, these words that would be kind of hot and hard to hear for a lot of people. Now, what you also need to know about Jeremiah is when Jeremiah was a prophet, the people of God had wandered away from God, okay? They had they'd kind of turned their back on God, and they'd started uh, worshiping different idols, and they, they, were, they were really just moving farther and farther away from God. Not only that, listen carefully, not only that, but as they wandered away from God, their Jewish civilization started to fall apart. They started to experience poverty. They started to experience decline in their civilization, which is a little principle to learn here, and you'll notice in your, in your outline there, I've just, I'm not doing fill in the blanks right now in this series. This series, I'm just leaving you some notes, and one of the first things I might invite you to write in the margin of that little thing, there's a simple principle. And that is this, whenever we wander away from God, we are inviting chaos and decline into our world. Whenever we wander away from God and start to do our own thing and and we don't follow the lordship of of Christ, whenever we move towards idols, and that's anything that we revere um, above God or different than what God's uh, plan is for our life, we are inviting chaos. We're inviting chaos decline. And that's exactly where the people of God found themselves. During the entire ministry of Jeremiah, the people of God have wandered away from God and their civilization, their Jewish civilization starts to, to fall apart. Almost like the, uh, a fabric that's been knitted together. You know how it is to pull a string and just starts unraveling? By the way, I think we can take some notes here from the American civilization, right? Because have we, would you think we've been getting closer to God or we've been wandering farther away from God? What do you think, right? And, and I think almost every one of us would say, boy, it certainly seems like we've been wandering farther away from God. Well, that principle holds true for us. In the same way it did for the Jews, it holds true for America. The farther you wander away from God, the more you are inviting the, the decline, or think of it this way, the devolution. Uh, you know what, evolution, that understanding of things re- evolving, what is devolution? things devolving, okay? The decline, the chaos of a society. The devolution of a society begins to happen whenever we wander away from God. And so right here at the very beginning, Jeremiah 23, verse 1, listen to God's opening words that Jeremiah has to speak, okay? It starts out like this. It's it's a message of leadership. Woe to the shepherds, all right? Now, God is upset, and the words that he has to speak, Jeremiah, are straight to the leadership of God's people. He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. I think this is so interesting because we know what a shepherd's called to do, right? A shepherd is called to lead the sheep, to care for the sheep, to nurture the sheep. Certainly not ever called to destroy the the flock or to scatter the flock. And that's exactly what God sees the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel doing. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, the Lord says. And then it says this, therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You might want to underline those words right there. We'll come back to them in a minute. Who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Now, I want you to get this picture. God's going to give a name here, right? I told you it's a situation in life, and here's the situation. 
the very leadership of Israel, not just the people of the Jewish culture of Israel, the very leadership, had, they, were, they were doing the things that weren't honoring God. The very leadership of God's people at the top of the nation were, were doing things that hurt God's heart. And this is the way I might say it, kind of like what God was speaking through, through Jeremiah. Woe to those of you who are in leadership. Because instead of you bringing my people to me, you're scattering them. You're pushing them away from me. Woe to the leadership of my people. Instead of you you making it clear to them who I am, you're causing more confusion. Notice those words there. He said, who feed my people. The shepherds were responsible for giving God's word and making it clear who God was to the people. And what God is basically saying is, what you're feeding them is not truth. What you're feeding them, you're making them more confused. You're not, you're not, you're not helping them. You're scattering them. You're hurting them. You're, you're driving them away from me. You're not bringing them to me. Application point for today, very, very seriously. You know this happens every Sunday in America. Every Sunday in America, there are pulpits where pastors, clergy persons stand forward And instead of preaching in alignment with God's Word, trying to preach in dead alignment with what God's Word says, they leave that. And oftentimes, think about this, they preach whole messages that don't have anything to do with the Bible. They're almost, you could call them soliloquies, all right, or poetry, but they're not not biblical. Or how about those folks who instead of understanding and preaching what the Bible says, they just start sharing their own thoughts, whatever they've made up, right? I mean, this happens, I, I, I... I know of clergy friends of mine, you can look in this Bible and say, okay, there is a, a moral code for those who should be ordained for ministry, but you're preaching something totally different. It's not in the Bible. There is an understanding from the Bible of what a family is, what a family is, and just because America's redefining the family, you're going to stand in the pulpit, and you're going to stand with this new understanding of who the family is, and you're going, from the pulpit, you're going to start redefining the family and think that's biblical? Are you hearing me? If you can get a picture of that happening, and and it is happening right here in America, then you have a picture of what was happening in Israel during that time, and God was upset about it. God was saying, woe to the shepherds. And we're going to read in a minute how he says, I'm going to take care of you. You are driving my people away from me. You're not pulling them to me. And you you are confusing them instead of revealing the true character of who I am to them. Read it with me. It says, behold... I will, that, this is verse 2, Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Now here's what he, he now, he, now he's going to predict what he's going to do. Watch this, in verse 3. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back. You might want to circle those three words. I like those words. I will gather them from wherever they are, these scattered sheep of mine, and I'm going to, three words, bring them back. Back. I'm going to bring them back. Now, watch. He says this. I'm going to bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. That, another word for that is confused or anxious. And then, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So God says two things right there. He says, I'm going to raise up shepherds that, are, that have their heart after me. And then, I am going to bring my people back. Now watch this. He's about to give us his name, all right? That's what we want to study. What does this name of God reveal about God? 
And so it says in verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Or if you could read it in the Hebrew, it would have said Jehovah Tzidkenu. Jehovah Tzidkenu. And that means the Lord, our righteousness. Now let me remind you of this. God, whenever he gives a name, he's revealing part of his character to us. Now right here in this moment, he is really upset with the leadership of Israel. And he says, listen, I'm about, to do, I'm, I'm about to handle the leadership who are doing my people wrongly. And here's how I'm going to do I'm going to set up new shepherds. And I'm going to draw my people back to myself. But I am going to raise up from the very heart of, of Israel through the line of David, I'm going to raise up a king. And he will be righteousness. And then he says his name. This shall be his name. Jehovah Tzidkenu. And it is the Lord our righteousness. Now, when I first studied this a long time ago, I was studying the names of God. I first did my first study of the names of God like in 1992, when coming right out of college. And this is one of the names that grabbed my heart. This is one of the names that really got a hold of me as I studied the context because I really wanted to know what righteousness is all about. You hear that word. I mean, we sang that word earlier, didn't we? Righteousness, dressed in his righteousness alone. I wanted to know what is righteousness. And in that moment, when God's revealing His righteousness, and that His name will be the Lord our righteousness, I want to know what that is. So let's define righteousness together, okay? Righteousness is simply this, rightness, all right? Rightness. I'm going to give you two different views of righteousness today, but one of the views is rightness. And God is saying, the Lord our rightness, the Lord who tells us what our standard is, the Lord who says what is right, now, think about this for a minute. We live in a culture right now. There's a, there's a kind of words that are being thrown about here. Maybe you've heard these words. Uh, some of the hot words of today are called values clarification. Uh, if you're a teacher, certainly if you're a professor, uh, if you've ever been in the classroom right here in, this, in, in our culture today, you've heard these words spoken. Values clarification. Now, what is values clarification? Values clarification simply is this. What is right? What is wrong? And by the way, who determines what is right? And what is wrong, all right? There's a lot of that going on in America right now. Values clarification. What is right? What is wrong? And who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong? Now, here's a couple of obvious answers to who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong. First answer is this. You, me, we determine what's right and wrong, okay? And some people, that's the way they journey through their life. I'm going to determine what's right for me. You can determine what's right for you or wrong for you but I'm going to be the judge of what's right and wrong for me. And so the answers of value clarification and what is right, what's wrong, and who gets to decide, some folks want to answer that with me. I get to decide. Now, here's the problem. When, when I decide something that is a certain way, that this is going to be right and wrong, and you decide differently, we might have a clash together, right? I mean, what if I decide that every time I get to a red sign that says stop on it, I'm just going to roll right on through that, all right? That's my value. I get to determine what's right and wrong, and I don't want to stop, right? And so I'll just roll right through that little red sign. 
But what if you decide differently than that? Or what if you decide the same and all of a sudden we have problems together, right? One of the simple answers of values clarification is you get to decide. Another, by the way, here's the second answer. Another one is the majority, okay? So if we were able to make a decision today, hey, how many of you guys want to vote to stop at the little red sign that says stop, and we'll, make, we'll take a vote, and whoever will vote for that, or, and the majority wins, and that's the way we'll go, okay? The majority. Whatever the majority decides, that's how the values will be determined. Now, guys, is this not America right now? I mean, have you heard, have you watched TV and seen a little thing called polls? Have you seen any polls before? Are they crazy about polls or what? I mean, the media, you cannot watch a news channel for 10 minutes and not see poll, 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 poll. They're, they're throwing, now what are, they, what, are they, what are they sharing with us? They're sharing with us majority views, majority views, majority views. Here's where we're going. Third and best answer. Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? God is saying, here's my name. I am Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He's basically saying this, I am the one who determines what is righteous, what is right and wrong. I am the one who sets the standard. I am the king. I know what is good and I know what is right. And so I will be your standard bearer. You can trust me, okay? So in essence, God is saying, listen, I will show you what is right and I will show you what is wrong. You don't have to depend on your own moral character. You don't have to depend on the majority. I will show you. I will be your standard bearer. I will be your king, the Lord, our rightness, okay? He will show us what's right. Now, here's the deal. Watch this. If there is such a thing as rightness, then there's also such a thing as wrongness, right? Is that true? All right. So God is saying, I will be your rightness. And I will show you what is right, and I will reveal what is wrong. By the way, the danger of knowing what's right is that it reveals what's wrong. Have you ever thought about that before? See, when all of a sudden righteousness shows up, it reveals sin, it reveals darkness. And so when Jeremiah starts to speak this word, the first thing out of his mouth is, woe to the shepherds, because God is saying, what you're doing is not right. God, who is righteousness, and the one who says what is right and what is wrong, he is stepping forward right now and saying, I'm going to deal with you because you're not doing right by my people. And when that righteous word shows up, when that right word shows up, it reveals that which is wrong. By the way, I've been sitting in a message like this before. You know I wasn't always a preacher, right? You know I wasn't always a pastor. I've been sitting in a worship service like this before, knowing there was something in my life that just wasn't right. I could name it. It was something I wasn't proud of. Nobody else in the world knew about it. And I've been there multiple times. I bet you have too. And God's Word began to reveal something that was right. God's Word began to, and, and all of a sudden, when the right Word from God started showing up in my life, it, all of a sudden, I felt the wrongness in my life. Are you hearing me? You know what I'm talking about? I felt the wrongness in my life. And the righteous word revealed the wrongness in me. And that was how you get fixed, right? When righteous, rightness shows up, it reveals wrongness. And that is how you can deal with the wrongness. Here's an illustration. Um, in, my family, in, my, in my home, we have three kids, okay? Now, they're fast becoming adults. Yes, they are. But I've got Abigail, Andrew, and Alex. Now, mom and dad, y'all see if y'all agree with me on this before, if you've ever been here before, all right? There have been some moments before where my kids showed up to my house, 
And they said that they were doing such and such, or they were going to go do such and such. And I said, what? You're going to go do what? And they said, yeah, we're going to go do it. Um, Bobby's mom and dad said it was okay. Y'all ever had that happen before? And I said, first of all, who the heck is Bobby? Right? And then the second thing you say is, no, you ain't doing that. Just because his mom and daddy lets him do that, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that. That's not, we're not going to allow that to happen in our house, right? Now, what is happening there? Who's the standard bearer? It's me, and it's my wife, mom and dad, right? We have a standard of what is right and what's wrong in our house, and we are setting the standard, all right? Now, here's the deal. Why do we do that? Because we love our kids, right? And we want a certain thing for our kids, and we say, hey, this is the standard, and we're not, we're not stepping out and doing wrong things by our family. Mom and dad are going to determine what is right and what is wrong. By the way, this is exactly what God's doing here. See, God's got kids too, right? God's got kids. And he says, listen, you, you guys are following all these other cultures. You're setting up all these other idols, and I won't have it. And not only that, he's upset with the leadership because the leadership from the pulpit are basically just going along with them and just letting them go their way. And God will not let this happen to his children as his children are being scattered. They're becoming confused and they're, they're, going, the, they're going away from him. They're not coming to him. And God says, here's the deal. I'm about to draw my kids back to him. I'm going to set up a whole new leadership. I'm going to raise up a righteous branch of David and he, he will be a king of righteousness. He will show you what is right and wrong. His name is our righteousness. He will show you what is good. He will show you what is right. Am I making any sense? Are you following along here? So when Jesus comes, by the way, read it, read it with me in Matthew 5, 6. When Jesus comes, Jesus says it this way. He says, blessed, happy, fulfilled, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus, when he was talking about righteousness, watch this, he talked about hungering and thirsting, okay, for that rightness, to be walking in a right relationship, to be walking in an upright way. He is saying, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Can I just pause for a minute? A little quick question, you don't have to answer it. In your world right now, do you wake up every morning hungering and thirsting for rightness? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Interestingly enough, when you go to a doctor, have you ever noticed that one of the first things you tell your doctor, hey, I'm not feeling well, I'm just, something's wrong in my body, I don't, I, I've got this going on, that going on. Have you ever noticed that one of the first things the doctor asks you is, how's your appetite? You ever noticed that before? Because if you've lost your appetite, what is that a clear sign of? Something's wrong, right? I mean, the normal thing is that you would have an appetite, that you would have an appetite to eat and to drink, and that you, that, but if you tell me you don't have an appetite, you're not wanting to eat or drink anything. I know something's wrong in your body. Can I just tell you real quickly? Christians, people who say they are of Christ and followers of Christ, they're, they're, they're supposed to hunger and thirst for rightness all the time. Does that make any sense? They're supposed to live with an ap- attitude. and I'm sorry, live with an appetite of I'm hungering and I'm thirsting to do what's right and to be around what is right and to be a light for what is wrong, and to walk in a right relationship with God. That is supposed to be a Christ follower. And so I'll go back to it one more time, and I'll ask you the question. Do you hunger and thirst for rightness? Because Jesus said, watch this, Jesus said, blessed, happy, fulfilled in me you will be 
if you hunger and thirst for rightness or righteousness, for you shall be filled. This, Jesus is pointing the way for us. He's saying this is the way we ought to want to live every one of our days, hungering and thirsting for that which is right. Now, here's the problem. In America, God is being removed from so many different spheres in our culture. You know that, and I know that. I mean, there's, for, for my entire life, there has been a war to remove God from schools, right? I mean, the Madeline Murray O'Hare, right? We know that name because, oh, prayer in our schools. There's just been this, this movement during my entire life to get God out of the schools. It seems the same way right now with, with our government. Even though we have some very faithful Christ-following people in our government, by and large, our government is, is becoming is more and more secular, less and less Judeo-Christian, right? This is a given. I, I, was, I was amazed the other day. I was on YouTube watching one of our former presidents pray over our nation. It was sobering. I sat at my computer and I began to weep and to cry because our chief leader was leading us spiritually. He was leading us spiritually on the brink of war with Japan. And I sat there and watched it and I thought to myself, Oh God, how far we have come. How far we have fallen and wandered away from you when our present doesn't even pray over our, our nation, doesn't even lead us in prayer anymore. So God is being removed from our schools, from our government, even from our homes. There is, from the marketplace, America is not far different from Israel at this time because it is wandering further and further away from God. And whenever you wander further and further away from God, you are inviting the very decline of your society. And so the question is, how are we going to get that hunger and that thirst for right relationship back, for right walking with God back? How are we going to get that as a nation, as a culture? I don't talk about this often enough, but I need to, I need to address it today. If there is a chief sin in America, if there, we, we, we look at so many different things going on in our culture and we say, that's not right, and how far we have fallen. But the very fact that so many babies have been killed in America, in our country, have been sacrificially, sacrificially slaughtered, and, and, and nobody really wants to talk about it. But it's far, far greater than the Holocaust. It, it, it makes the Holocaust look so small in the number of babies that have been killed. What is happening? What's happening is simply this. We're wandering farther and farther away from God. And God's calling us back, but what are we doing? We're just shouting and singing louder and trying to go our own way. Not too different than Julie saying, are you going to do the right thing? Are you going to take the medicine? No, 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 I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to be my own authority. Rightness. The Lord, our righteousness. I love I love that I get to preach God's Word to you every week. It is one of the most sobering, holy works that I get to do for God. I don't take it very lightly at all. But I am also aware that this church called Harvest Point will far outlive me. That this church called Harvest Point, even though I'm the founding pastor of this church, there will be other leaders of this church and other pastors of this church. And when I'm dead and gone, this church will still be doing good things for Jesus Christ. 
Here's what I want to say real quickly. When God's Word is preached from this pulpit or whatever other buildings we may have across this campus, when God's Word is preached from this pulpit, let me tell you what has to be the standard, right? The Lord, our righteousness, He's King. He says what's right. He says what's wrong. Let me tell you what's got to be the very most important thing about whoever, ever, 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 ever preaches from this pulpit. It's not the degrees of the person. It really doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter how much education the person has. It's not the eloquence of that person who preaches God's words. Not that they are smart and witty. It's not even the kind of, oh, they make me laugh and it's entertaining or whatever. It's not that either, okay? That doesn't matter a hill of beans, okay? What matters from this pulpit, whoever, ever, ever, ever preaches from this pulpit, is that they hold the Word of God in their hand and they speak the Word of God in alignment with God's Word. They have to speak what is right and what is wrong from God's Word. That's what righteousness is all about. Are you hearing me? And let me, let me tell you real quickly what was happening in Israel was that the, the people who were speaking over Israel were just joining in lockstep with the rest of the culture. And they were just going along with it all. And it was breaking God's heart. And God said, I won't have it anymore. I won't have it anymore. You know that He would even put them in bondage and slavery because they would not listen to Him and they would keep on running, right? Now watch this. Let me go back to verse 5. This is powerful. I want you to get this. Verse 5. God says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will, I love this, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Who is that? Say that out loud. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus is going to be, Jesus is the branch, right? Jesus is the branch of righteousness. He comes from the line of David. So God is foretelling the coming of Jesus, all right? Now watch this. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now watch this. Jesus is the most unique human being that ever walked the face of the earth. Why? Because when Mary was getting ready to have the angel speak over her, that the Holy Spirit would birth a child through her, when Jesus was born, it was, it was Mary's egg, but there was no sperm. There was no male sperm for that. It was Mary's egg, and God impregnated Mary with the, 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 uh, the, the, the embryo, the child that would become the Christ Jesus. Now watch this. So Jesus became the most unique person ever because we call him the God-man. I mean, he was, he was born of flesh, right? He was a human. But at the same time, he was divine. He was the God-man. He was completely righteous. He never sinned. And when Jesus did his ministry on this earth, he, he walked in righteousness. Not just when he was 30 through 33, right? Watch this. He did it when he was 7 and 8 and 10, which should amaze every parent in the room because we should stand back and go, what would it have been like to be Jesus' mama and daddy, right? I mean, that would have been amazing, right? But watch this. 7, 8, 9, 10, even an adolescent. 16, 17, 18. He was still walking in righteousness? Yes, never sinning. He was never sinning. And then Jesus started, he started his public ministry. And you know what happened. You saw how the world took notice. Watch this. And then the righteous God-man, the sinless God-man, went to the cross. And he hung on that cross 
And do you remember what happened on that cross? He said several different things, but one of the things, that the kind of climax of the whole cross moment is when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, here's what we understand. Watch this. We understand that at that moment, God was placing on the God-man, the sinless one, all the sin of the world. Watch this. Let's read it together. Uh, real quickly from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says this, for he made him, that's Jesus. Now, the first he is God, okay, God the Father. The Father made the Son. For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become or to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's in the Father. Now watch, so this is what happens. This is so cool. Jesus in that moment, he does what is so phenomenally, mysterious, cosmically mind-blowing. He takes on my sin. He takes on your sin. He takes on the sin of the world. Let me say it differently. He took on all the sin that was before him. He took on all the sin that was on the planet that time, that very day. And he took on all the sin that would come. And in that moment, the sin of the whole world on him. And the Bible says that the Father made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Now, what does that mean? It's a cool concept, all right? It's, it's as if this. It's, you, got, you got a bank account? Think of, think of your bank account for a minute, all right? Think of the debt that you might owe if you have a debt, all right? In that moment where, where that transfer happened, he took my sin and he put it on Jesus. Watch this. And he took Jesus' sinlessness and his righteousness, and put it on me. Did you hear that? So what does that mean for me? I'm over here, and I'm a, I, the Bible says, I, I, I've been a sinner since before I was born. Since my birth, I've been a sinner, okay? He took all that was dark and wrong in me, and he transferred my debt over to him. But more than that, he took all of his sinlessness and his righteousness and transferred it over to me. Think of it as a credit for a minute, okay? He, he, he took all of my credit debt that I owed, transferred it onto him, took all of his positive credit, beautiful, perfect credit score, and put it on me. And I had a terrible credit score. I was like, you know, 0.2, you know, out of the 800. I was 0.2. And, and, and he gave me perfect credit. Now my credit score is perfect in heaven. That is amazing. Why would he do that? See, this is, this is what you're understanding. This is who he is. Jehovah Tzidkenu. The Lord, our rightness, our righteousness. That transfer of credit happened right there. It tells us that picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That the righteous one departed on you and me. If you are a Christ follower, if you believed in Christ, he departed that perfect credit score on you. And this is the way you're to live. Now watch this. Does that mean I'm, Stephen, does that mean I'm not, I'm, I'm, okay, his righteousness came into my life. I believed in the cross. I accepted the cross. And all of a sudden, he washed away my sin. What about this week when I fall again, right? Or what about next month or the next month? Because I'm going to sin again, again, and again, and again. Here's the deal. His blood washes away, and I am seen as righteous in the Father's eyes. 
Though I be sinful, my sins can and will be washed away white as snow. Today you're going to come up here, we're inviting you to come in just a little while, to come and receive Holy Communion, to receive bread and juice. And, and, and you, you've heard probably a lot of words around that before, but understand this. When you take that bread and you take that juice, you are remembering the credit exchange. And you are taking it into yourself. You're not just looking at it and studying it, mentally achieving it. You are taking that great exchange, that credit shift that happened. You are taking it into yourself and saying one more time, I believe that even though I deserve all the wrath of heaven, that your righteousness has been imparted to me. And even though I sin and I will sin again, you've given me a perfect credit score in heaven. Are you following that? The Lord, our righteousness. Jesus, the Father, knew what he was going to do with the Son. He said, I'm going to raise up a king, and he will, he will, he will pronounce victory over the land. Now watch this. I want to read from you just two more scriptures real quick. First John 3. Boy, when I was a young Christian, whoo, I read this scripture, and it really uh, it, it challenged me. I, I struggled with this one for a little while, um, and still do. First John 3, 7 through 9. This is, uh, by the way, this is John, the best friend of Jesus, right? This is John, the, the, uh, the one who wrote the Revelation and received the Revelation on Patmos. This is John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John. This is a guy who walked at the closest level with Jesus. He says this. He's writing. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, okay? So the goal is that you ought to every day get up and want to practice rightness in your life, walking in a right relationship with God. That's the, that's the two images, right? You love rightness and you walk in righteousness, a right relationship with God. That's the two images. He says, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He's, oh, there it is. Just as Jesus is righteous, I'm made righteous if I get up and I walk in that rightness every day. Now watch this. This is what I struggle with. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. This is what I struggle with right here. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his, capital H, you see that? For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. You might want to circle that word seed, okay? Maybe you've never even noticed that word in that passage, seed. Think of a seed for a minute. A seed is, is from the very moment we have a seed, the goal of a seed is that a seed would become more than it is, right? That it would grow, that it would blossom, that it would bloom, that it would expand, that the seed would bring life, okay? Here's the image. And I've got to move through this fast, right? Because we've got communion. That's the most important thing we're going to do here today, right? Here's what's happening. John says, listen, Thomas, can I borrow you for a minute? Just stand right up here for a minute. I pick people out sometimes. Welcome to Harvest Point. Thomas's last Sunday was last week. Hey, welcome, Thomas. <laughs> so here's, here's the picture of Thomas, okay? Thomas at one moment was not with God at all. And Jesus on the cross imparted his righteousness. Now, when Thomas did not know that, he was living in darkness. There's probably a long period of Thomas, his life. He didn't know that. But when he finally learned it, he said, I want that exchange for me. I want that credit on my account. He said, if you died for me, I want it. And Thomas took part in the great exchange, all right? So the, righteous, the sin of Thomas was dumped on Jesus, and the righteousness of Jesus was dumped on Thomas. Now, John says it this way. Listen, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Those who love righteousness, they will be righteous. And the goal is that you would 
follow your father and your, your, and your, your example and your brother Jesus, follow in that righteousness. Because let me tell you, the devil wants, to, wants you to sin. He wants you to love darkness. He wants you to go the wrong way, okay? And there's that word. John said that Jesus put his seed in Thomas. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that before? What does that even mean? Jesus put his seed nature. Watch this. Jesus put his seed character. Jesus put his seed of rightness, righteousness in Thomas. Now, every day Thomas lives, he gets to do one of two things. Thomas, I'm going to talk to you especially about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. What's your Monday going to look like? Now, Thomas will either choose on Monday to feed that seed, nurture that seed, grow that seed of the righteousness so that he grows in righteousness to become more and more like Jesus. Or, John says, he can follow a different way. He can leave that seed right there. It will not depart from him. That righteousness is there and the Father will see that seed. When his life is over, the Father, he'll have a perfect credit score. You understand me? But Thomas has a choice. He can wake up in the morning and he can walk towards rightness, righteousness. Or he can walk towards wrongness. He can choose a good word or a bad word. He can choose this and that and this and that. And John is saying, listen, Listen, little children of my Father in heaven. Jesus, the perfect one, put his seed in you. Feed it. Feed it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Every day, appetite in rightness. And you will begin to see the righteousness of God flow in your life and make you more and more like Jesus. Are you getting this? When I was a young Christian, Thomas, I didn't understand. I said, it says, those who are born of him do not sin. And I, said, I just, I, wait a minute, I'm struggling because I sin. What he was teaching me was that birth is to be more and more and more. Where one day you'll wake up and your nature will be changed. You won't even, you won't even think about wrongness anymore. You won't have a convoluted mind that thinks evil thoughts anymore. You'll have the mind of Christ because you've nurtured that seed, nurtured that seed in rightness and righteousness, 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 until you start to walk and talk and be like your Savior. Isn't that a beautiful picture, guys? Are you all hearing that? Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate you. All right, last scripture. I got to go back up. So Jesus, uh, and, and ba- way back in Jeremiah 23, uh, God says, this is, this is my name. This is his name. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Tzidkenu, right? Now watch this. This is what I love. Verse 6, right? I didn't read this to you before. We're going to pick up in verse 6. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, Tom, go. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he is called the Lord our righteousness. And verse 7, therefore, behold, the days are coming. He's predicting this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought us up children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Now you know that that, that rescue story from Egypt was a big story for the Hebrews. Remember that? The whole Moses thing and out of... And, and God is saying, listen, to this moment, that's been the biggest thing. Everybody talks about it. Y'all always talk about how I brought you up out of Egypt. He says, I'm about to do something far greater than that. Watch this. He says, they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Then he says this, verse 8, 
But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. It's a prophecy, all right? This is a prophecy. Israel in in 70 AD was destroyed, and they were driven all over the earth. And they were not a people group as a nation until May of 1948. You remember that story, right? And all of a sudden, Israel became a nation again. He drew them from all over the world and established them in their own land again. This is a prophecy of God, right? Here's why I love it. Here's why I love this. He said earlier in verse 3 and 4, I'm going to bring my people back, right? And then he says it this way. He says, I will establish a branch of David a branch of righteousness, and he will be a king. And he will declare what is right and what is wrong. And more than that, what he's pointing to is he will make a way for my kids to be righteous again. And then he says, and here's what's going to happen. I will pull my people from all over the place, and I'll bring them back to their land. And what does he do? In our lifetime, in this last century, he brings the people of Israel back to be a nation. By the way, it's never happened on the face of the planet. I'm going to say it it differently than this. No country, no civilization ever on the face of the planet has been destroyed and put away and then come back like that across that many centuries. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But God brought it to happen. And what's the good word there? Two thoughts. And I'm going to close this in prayer. Two thoughts. First one is this. If you've been wandering away, it's a simple gospel message. He can bring you back. If he brought the land of Israel back and if he brought his children back from all those centuries of of their own wandering and their own moving and he said, I will do it, he's still in the business of bringing people back. And if you feel like you've wandered away from him, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will bring you back because that's who he is. Second good news, all you got to do is call on his name. See, remind you what I said a couple weeks ago. It's hard to call on a name you don't know. So if you don't know what Jehovah Tzidkenu is, you don't even know how to call on his righteousness. But can I tell you before, I'm just going to be the, I, as transparent as I can be, there have been moments in my life where I wandered away from God and I knew my sin and I knew my darkness and I stood in an altar just like this and I got on my knees before God and I said, Jehovah Tzidkenu, I need to be birthed in that righteousness right now. I need you to come and set me right and bring me back. Wash me clean and make me a righteous being like you are. And if he does that for me, he'll do it for you. I know he will. Right? He can bring you back. All you got to do is call on his name. Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteous one. You're my king. I'm going to stop deciding what's right and wrong for myself. I'm not going to listen to the majority anymore either. You're my king. I'm going to listen to you. And what you say is right, what you say is wrong, that's where I follow. And I will follow hard and fast and strong after you. Would you pray with me? Father, in the next few minutes as we have a time of Holy Communion, I pray that you'd meet us in the breaking of the bread and the pouring of this juice out on us. And I pray that you would come and remind us of who we were meant to be from the very beginning. The culture that we live in is a darkened culture. It draws us away from you. It scatters us away from you, God. And we so much need to see our country come back to you. But Lord, it starts with us. It starts with each one of us making sure we're walking in a right relationship with you and that we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness ourselves. So Lord, today I pray you'd meet us in this place and I pray that Jehovah Sidkenu, as we receive communion this morning, that you just let your power, let your grace, let your 
Let your perfect sinless credit fall on us. <laughs> let it fall on us this morning and let us be forgiven of our sin, Jesus. And give us a hunger and a thirster to walk this, walk this week in that righteousness. Jehovah said, Kenu, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I don't think we notified our children, did we, George? I don't think we have. No? Hey, if you're going to serve Holy Communion this morning, would you come on the table? And George, would you let our children know we're going to have communion? I think they want to join us. If you're going to be one of our servers of Holy Communion, would you come forward? While those servers are coming forward, let me just give you a real quick a thought here. And that is simply this. If you're kind of new to Harvest Point, we practice uh, communion that's called intinction. We just take a small piece of bread, we dip it in the juice, and we receive it to ourselves. And we invite you to do what you want to do, okay? Some folks just go right back to their seat and they, their seat becomes an altar. And other folks as family units or as husbands and wives or uh, sometimes just individual folks who just get on their knees here or they'll meet here and they'll just pray here at the front. This is your space to meet Christ in this place. This is, so be free, okay? Be free. And one more thought. The table is for all. You'll notice at Harvest Point here, we don't say, oh, you know, some of you can come and some of you can't, or some of you are old enough or some of you are too young. That's not the way we work here. John Wesley said the table of God is his table, not our table, and he invites all to come. doesn't matter your, your level of, of, of education. It doesn't matter where you've been in this world. It doesn't matter how old you are. I love when our children come and receive communion, even if they don't completely understand it all. They're having a moment, a moment to meet with Christ in his church. So, Moms and dads, as the children come in, you just uh, flag them down, okay? On the night Jesus gave his life, he took bread. He took a very natural thing like the bread at the table, and he held it up, and the Bible said he prayed a prayer of blessing over it, and then he broke the bread. And he explained to them that, his friends, his closest people on the, on the planet, he explained to them that his body was about to be broken. At the very moment, they probably did not understand it completely. But he said, take and eat and be a part of this brokenness. As you come this morning, I would invite you to take that bread and remember the broken body of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, may this bread for us today be a reminder that your body was broken for us. Your perfect, perfect sinless grace was poured out. So Lord, bless this bread that we partake of right now and may it be for us a reminder of heaven in the name of Jesus. And then he took the juice that was at the table. For them it was wine. He held it up and he prayed another prayer of blessing over it. And then he passed the cup around the table and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant that I'm establishing. We know that to be a covenant of grace. We know that to be a covenant of forgiveness, right? And we get a chance to partake in that. So would you pray with me together? Father, we pray this morning that this grape juice for us would be a reminder of the perfect, spotless, unblemished blood of Jesus Christ and remind us that we have been called to receive it unto ourselves. It's an invitation of grace and forgiveness. So Lord, wash us clean and remind us that we're your children and send us forth into a broken world, we pray. Lord, bless this juice in your name, Jesus. Amen.